You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 593 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is uh, deep in the night here on Sunday evening, heading into Monday morning for your Monday morning commute. And uh, joining me for the, I think, the third time in like three weeks, a new record of uh, repetitiveness. But I'm excited about this one. The great Tower Jones is here. What's up, man? What's going on, Brad? Good to be back again. Um, but no, nah, this is, I mean, like, I think I'm back on here. And I actually, this is one of the first times I've actually requested to come on <laughs> with Brad. It's usually the other way around, but this time I was like, "Yo, what happened on draft night was just too, too tantalizing not to talk about." Like, it's, there's a lot of, there's just a lot of layers of what what went on, um, and you know, I just want to chop it up with Brad, and hopefully, you guys will enjoy the conversation. Yeah, I think so. And you know, you and I have been talking about this draft for a long time, both on this podcast and off this podcast and you and other places, me and other places and including two pretty, pretty recent, you know, pre-draft pods. And we talked about these guys a little bit, but I agree. Like the theory of this, you know, the Peace Hoops comments have been flying around the last few days in a way they don't normally fly around. And just, there's a lot of layers to what happened here. You know, I think honestly, Cam Reddish at number 10 is like, it's not that it's boring, but that's, that was, a, that was a guy that we talked about so much with the Hawks. And it was kind of a natural projected, value pick that the Hawks made at 10 like that's almost been not that big of a conversation which is kind of weird like I, people ask about it on the radio when I, when I go on but it's like the fourth question I get is Cam Reddish because there's other things going on and you know the big thing is Hunter so let's just let's just start with the trade and DeAndre Hunter because I have to take a little bit of a victory lap because on this podcast I've always loved DeAndre Hunter and you used to yell at me about how, about how, how old he was nope. just yep. saying 100 percent I was a uh, <laughs> national championship game. I was just angry that Hunter was just top five. I was like, he's 28 years old. He's only actually only 21. But I was just, you know, crying. That he was 28 years old. Uh, you know, he relies on the team defense that he plays with at Virginia. He's not that good of a defender. Yada, yada, yada. And, and then, like, I stopped talking in the second half because he kind of took the game over. He did turn it um, on a little bit. I was there. That was it. Was a weird yeah. one, like to be. I was like pretty close to the action, and I was kind of nodding around. I, and I was there to cover college, but I'm thinking, all right, well, I'm kind of doing some scouting on Culver and Hunter here, knowing the Hawks are going to be picking pretty high. And it it was the it was the DeAndre Hunter show for about twelve straight minutes. And I was like, oh, that's interesting to file away for the future. I mean, yeah, he he kind of just like that game. He kind of took the game over, like he just Culver, you know. Once the shot left Culver, like, he just had nothing for Hunter. Like, he just swallowed him up on one end and then on the other. Uh, for better and for worse, Culver just kept leaving him um, open, and Hunter made him pay. Like, And that's something I think I undersold uh, a lot with Hunter is just how good of a jump shooter he is. I I really do feel like all conversations with Hunter needs to, talk, needs to start and end with his jump shot. Uh, I think it's really good. I think it's going to translate to the next level. I'm not really concerned that he didn't take many deep threes. It's not as if, you know, taking a foot back is going to change the fact that he didn't miss in college. Like, I mean, you look at his numbers above six, 
you know, true shooting percentage over 600. He had like his sophomore year, he had a 570 effective field goal percentage. And, you know, you look at his shot chart data, everything's in the green, more or less. Great from three, uh, uh, great in the mid range, made his, you know, layups around the rim. It doesn't look what, what I think a lot of people are doing with Hunter is that it's not fluid. It's yep. a lot of power. It's a, it's a lot of power, right? Like he overwhelmed, he physically overwhelms guys. A lot of it, you watch a couple of his games. Um, saw recently saw his Louisville game where he just physically dominated on the block where he would just get mismatches and just overwhelm them with sheer force. And on a Hawks team in particular, with Trey Young as a point guard, I think that's going to be a real weapon for them. Like they're going to get like he's he's very good at you know punishing mismatches, and I think you know playing for a Hawks team where teams are going to switch against Trey Young because of the threat of his jumper. Like I think that's going to be a real easy two points that the Hawks can go towards when you know stuff breaks down. So I I mean there's a lot more stuff to talk about with Hunter. Um, you know his. I mean, his on-ball defense is incredible. And, like, the the biggest knock on him is the steals and blocks, like, just the raw data. But if you look, like, his steal percentage, his steal and block percentages are around 2%, which is fine. Like, I, I think maybe if DeAndre Hunter didn't play for one of the worst-looking play for Virginia, which nobody likes watching them play. But if he didn't play for that team, maybe uh, he'd be much more hyped as a prospect because, like, he didn't have any weaknesses. And that's something you can't say about the other wing prospects in this class. I I, I do think I, I – like, even his passing is solid. So, like, overall, I think, you know, Hunter, when compared to the other guys in this class, like, he's just more of a complete prospect uh, compared to, like, with Culver. Like, if the shot – if the shot's not there, you know, what do you have in them? Um, so that's, you know, it's, and I, and ultimately it just with me and I, I imagine with Schlank, like at the end of the day, Schlank probably looked at it as like, you know, Hunter can make a jumper and he's bigger than everybody else. Yep. So that's my guy. I mean, it's, it's interesting in a number of ways because, you know, Hunter, you almost assume that he wasn't a huge prospect because he wasn't, you know, it was Virginia, it's the system, all that stuff. He was still a top 100 guy in his class. Like, he was not a completely off-the-radar guy. Like, Culver was the off-the-radar guy. Hunter has been a established prospect for a long time. He probably would have been a top 15 pick last year had he declared. And he got, he, he got hurt at a bad time, NCAA tournament, all that stuff. He's been a thing for a long time now. And I think people... You know, he, he got underrated by some because of the system, because of the lack of counting stats, like you said, and because of just the way that Virginia's tough to watch play basketball sometimes. But, you know, he checks every box. And that's something that I've been saying for a while. We can get into the trade in a minute. But just the player, like, it's very, very, very easy to see why the Hawks would want this guy. He he does all the things that they, that they need a guy to do. He's a big, physical wing. If nothing else, he's that. He can shoot it. He can really defend and there aren't really any weaknesses, like you said. So, you know, is he going to be a star? Probably not. But, you know, that's this draft was that. And he was. I had him in the top five the whole way, basically, for that reason. It was A lot of it was because I think he's pretty safe. I mean, I know he's a little bit older than you would want, necessarily. But he's not ancient. He's not Brandon Clark. He's not Grant Williams. He's not, you know, uh, sorry, not Grant Williams, Cameron Johnson. 
Um, he's not 23. Like, he's not super-duper young, like Seiko Tomboya would be or something like that. But he's got some room to grow. I think he's got some off- offensive upside. Not not off the charts, because he's not like going to be an on-ball creator, like, shake you off the dribble. But I, I liked your point there about his ball handling in that he's not he's not the shiftiest, smoothest guy in the world, but he does really get to his spots very well. His mid-range game is kind of underrated. And it doesn't it just doesn't look dynamic. He's not gonna put you he's not gonna be the YouTube guy where you like he's crossing guys up. That's not really his game. But that's okay. It doesn't need to be his game, particularly in Atlanta, because as you mentioned, Trey Young makes everybody look good. So, you know, Hunter, again, he just checks every box. Like it's not that hard to figure out. Like you, you can Qual, you can make qualms like like I have about about what I what I think is was something of an overpay for the for, for the uh, trade, but it doesn't matter all that much. I think beyond this week, I've said this before. I think on this pod or somewhere else that I was talking about this two weeks from now, no one's going to care about the trade. The trade's like a talking point this week because of it just happened. But like once summer league happens, we won't be talking about the trade anymore. We just won't. Like uh, maybe maybe Brad, just, I, I get it, Brett. I think we we stopped talking about the trade like when they drafted Reddish at 10. I mean, I kind of uh, agree. I mean, it, it's only, it's only remember, a thing now because it's the, of, where we trade, go, of where we are. When the trade happened, like, it was just such a frenzy. It was like, oh, man, the Hawks overpaid. The Hawks overpaid. And yep. I don't know if you're with me on this. I was like, my, my first thought was they didn't give up 10, right? Because that was the rumor. It was 8 and 10 to move up in this draft. Oh, yeah. We, 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 bo- we both said it on this pod. Like, if you can do it without giving up 8 and 10, that's what you want to do probably. And they, exactly. and they did it. They threw, they threw in extra assets, but at the end of the day, they definitely won to keep 10. I'm still not convinced that Schlenk knew Reddish was going to be there because he even got asked about that, and he could have just said, yeah, that was the plan all along, and he didn't say that. But I think he thought that might happen. I, uh, let, let me let – me, I, I do think there, there was a uh, just out-of-the-blue rumor that Reddish was red flagged. That could have been uh, uh, could have been a Hawks rumor, maybe just something like that. I, I, I'm not saying that. I'm just could have been. Could have been. Is all I'm saying. Pretty interesting. This is not sourced. This is not source sudden, material. <laughs> all, all of a sudden, I mean, no. I mean, just look at the timing. Like reddish, like hours before the draft, reddish is falling. Uh, you know, medical staffs have red flagged his injury. It's more serious than we thought. He gets drafted, and all of a sudden, oh, he, he'll just be – it's the same. It's a four- to eight-week injury. Oh, yeah, like, and, and Schlenk and Schle- immediately happened? immediately on the podium was like, no, long, no, no long-term concerns whatsoever. I'm like, okay, well, that's definitive. I mean, and that was – I mean, you have to take the rumor, the reporting as it was because, you know, it was credible stuff that he could be – has some injury stuff. It wasn't, like, reported as anything specific, but it was, like, rumblings out there, and that could have been – you know, it could have been the reason that he fell to 10. It could have not been, you know, my big thing is that the way that it fell down after the trade, you had New Orleans at eight who clearly wanted Jackson Hayes. That is, as soon as the trade happened, everybody kind of knew that was going to be Jackson Hayes. All the smart people were like, oh, Jackson Hayes to eight. Everybody had that. So that Fasc- was clearly something. Fascinating that that. that I agree the, with you. I agree Pelicans with you, by the way. But <laughs> Just went with that. And I, again, I, I like Jackson Hayes. I would have loved him in the Hawks, I think. You know, there's an untapped upside, but it's just interesting that they went there instead of. I mean, it's interesting a lot of things that the Pelicans did, but actually, what I really want to circle back, I want to circle back to the Hawks gave up too much. Um, because I, I think, I, I think we, you know, we've heard it, you know, on the internet and then on multiple podcasts where it's, it's kind of two trains of thought. We got the process group which is where 
you know, there's just a lot of guys who, you know, we like and respect are coming out and saying the Hawks gave up too much for a prospect like DeAndre Hunter. And I feel like there may needs to be a pushback on that. One, I think Hunter has more – I think I, – I genuinely think, like, at the end of the day, Hunter does have the physical profile of somebody who could potentially dominate in this league. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but he does have the profile, whereas um, the only – you know, the only other wings that has that one is probably uh, Reddish and Little uh, in this draft class in particular on the wing. Uh, just the both the size and the athleticism to be a truly dominant two-way wing in this league. So I want to push back on this idea that Hunter doesn't have star potential. I Again, I think there's some untapped upside if you get him in a faster-paced environment, you know, where he'll really get to show out all the, uh, you know, just the physical, the physical physicality that he plays with and all that good stuff. But, you know, this, I, I, I really want to talk about, you know, this idea that the Hawks, you know, they gave up too much, but you look at it, what did they give up? They gave up $12 million in cap space, the 34th pick in the second round in a draft where, you know, you could essentially buy into the second round. Every team that wanted a second round draft pick or one of the players just bought it, basically, including the Hawks. The Hawks essentially yeah, but say, bought they, it. They, they, the, used, they used two picks to do it, but we don't know. We, we actually still don't know what those picks were, and I, I'm not sure they're going to be anything specifically overwhelming i mean the counterpoint would be that the hawks clearly wanted to pick there because they went up and did it but i think 35 was is a real pick but it also can be overstated in some ways like because of the safety of knowing that's a top 35 pick like you know the picks that nobody cares about are the picks that are outside the top like 38 40 those are the ones nobody cares about like i do think the the top of the second round picks end up having some value in the league but i also generally agree that you know especially the ones I in do, the future i agree but I think in this, like, and this is, and this is where we go back to, like, you know, not every draft is in a vacuum. Every draft, is absolutely. Different. And yep. I think in this draft in particular, where it was such an eye of the beholder draft, there was no clear cut tier list, right? Every, yeah. like, so many teams had so many different tiers that we saw guys like Nasir Little went twenty five, and I, I guarantee <laughs> you there were multiple. I bet you there was multiple teams that had him in the top ten. Um, oh, I'm so, sure there was. Same, same thing with, like, Kevin Porter Jr. Or, you know, there's guys that fell 10, 15 spots from where we thought they were going to go. I mean, Gogo went, what, 18? And then, the, and then the, yeah, and then the opposite, you know, Gogo goes 18, uh, Chuma goes 16, and I bet <laughs> yeah. you there, there, was, there was probably two fronts where a lot of people were like, yeah, Chuma would be, would be drafted 16 if he didn't get hurt. And so the manager was just like, well, that's our guy. He's we probably we got him as a top ten guy, and you know that was ACL also injuries. also an extremely Orlando Magic pick in every way. Like they don't need that guy at all on their roster, and they took him anyway because that's just what they do over and over again. I, I actually kind of feel bad for him because I love Chuma. I wanted him to fall to thirty five at the beginning of the draft, but it was that was funny. But yeah, no. To your point though, there was no the only thing that everybody had in this draft was the top seven. The top seven went in the order they were supposed to go in, and or not the order, but the top seven were the top seven, and everything else. Like you said, I mean, there were wild falls. You know, Justin James goes 40 after being like a number 100 on everybody's board, for instance. Like, there's just a lot of just weird things that happen. Bull Bull is falling as far I as mean, he did. Lou, Lou, Lou Dort went undrafted. Uh, Lou Dort was like number 29 Arizona on State. people's boards. Like, people were projecting yeah. Lou Dort in the first round, like, literally five days ago. Yeah, so it, and, and that's my point. Like, this was such an, 
you know, a crapshoot draft to where teams value those picks in the 30s differently. There were some teams where, like, there's nothing here. And, you know, the Hawks basically, you know, they use the – the Hawks have a lot of draft capital. And even with all the trades they made, to me, at like, the only – the things of value they gave up was the 17th pick and the Cavaliers' two picks that are almost certain to be in the 30s. Uh Second round draft picks because, spoiler, the Cavaliers are probably going to be the worst team in the NBA. Uh, yeah, that that's that not going to be a first round pick. That, that first round pick dream is yeah. uh, is pretty much dead at this point. So it, they they gave up they gave up two high second round draft picks and I and I'm pretty sure, no, nah, nah, one of them yeah one of them might be in the 2022 draft which is the double draft so that might be the most valuable thing they gave up yep. even more so than the 17th pick, uh, but you know. This is where it comes back to you gotta you gotta look at the Hawks situation. I don't think like it comes down to me this season. I don't think anybody in the organization thought Trey Young and John Collins were going to be this good as they were the last season, right? I and agree. I, multiple times on my po- on my podcast eighteen on twenty nine with uh, KL Chenard, um and on yours, I talked about how those two guys were ready to win now. Like it's on the rest of the team uh, to get to where Trey Young and John Collins are, even with Trey Young's horrendous defense. Like they they were playing winning basketball. Those two guys in particular were playing winning basketball. They brought it consistently for the like for the last forty some odd games. They were just bringing it, and when John Collins was playing and healthy, they were roughly a thirty five win basketball team. Which in the Eastern Conference they would have been in the playoff contention all throughout the season. Like if John Collins was healthy. They probably would have been in contention for that eight seed. That's how bad the East was, all that good stuff. Um, and so my point is this, is like if you project growth from your guys, like not just from Trey Young and John Collins, but from Kevin Herter, it's almost certain Kevin Herter is going to be better. It's almost certain uh, Trey Young is going to be better uh, on defense in particular just due to, you know, Matt, he can't be, he can't possibly be worse. And so it's like, it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, we're probably not going to be drafting in the top 10 anymore after this season with our own drafting. Like there's, there's a, there's yep. too many bad teams. I there's agree. too many teams that aren't going anywhere. You know, there's teams that are probably due to be worse than they were last season, like the Hornets um, or like even the Miami Heat. Um, how they're currently constructed. Like, there's a good chance those teams are a lot worse than what they were last season. And they were both 36 win basketball teams last year. So, uh, you know, there there are multiple two of the teams in the Eastern Conference who are probably going to be worse. The Hawks are just due to their age, their youth, their, and the progression on the age curve are probably going to be better. We're not going to draft the top 10 anymore. What does this team need? We need a two way wing, and we need one with size because we can't have. Trey Young guard the best perimeter player on the other team. That, that's what, if you want to look at what was happening, because Torian Prince and Kevin Herter weren't up to snuff defensively, Trey Young was most, most nights guarding the team's best, best player on offense, which was typically the point guard. Most teams' best offensive creator is the point guard. The Hawks couldn't put Kevin Herter on them on him because he was too weak. They couldn't put Torian Prince because he was just terrible. Like, he was just flat out bad at it. So bad that they basically could not hide Trey Young. Now that they have Hunter, you know, now that they got somebody who can actually step up to the challenge and guard, you know, 
a team's best perimeter uh, player, whether that be a point guard, shooting guard, small forward. You know, you don't want Hunter to do it every, you know, every possession, but he can do it. So now you're more flexible in your defensive scheme. You can, you have more options. You have more tools in the toolbox. Um, specifically with Hunter, I'm not talking about Reddish yet. Um, and you know, like he fits. You know, DeAndre Hunter fits what my team needs at this moment. Why not give up the 17th pick and 12, the 34th pick and 12 million in cap space? Like, you know, the 17th pick is not going to help my. The 17th pick, the upside is just not going to be there. Like, 35th pick, the upside is not going to be there. We're not a 50-win basketball team. Like, if the Hawks were a 50-win basketball team, you know, those, oddly enough, like the 17th and 35th, those picks would matter because those guys would supplement your bench. But right now, the Hawks are looking for starters. Yep. And they needed to lock down probably one of the most important positions in basketball, which is at the wing. They needed somebody they they like Schlank, they clearly identified DeAndre Hunter probably even before all this draft process, and you know they tried to hide him. It didn't work. It was very clear. Like there's a lot of things that was going on. Multiple teams want that fourth pick. Celtics wanted it. The Timberwolves wanted it. Like the Hawks were bidding against teams that had assets that the the Pelicans wanted, and they didn't. Oh, and he was going fifth, pick. by the like, way. Like Hunter yeah, was going yeah. fifth and with the Cleveland. That was happening. And, and like there was, I, I remember. I, um. I was listening to the Daily Ding on the Athletic, and one of the guys was like, first off, they were like, who's a loser? Well, the Hawks are because they gave up too much to draft DeAndre Hunter at four when he could have been there at eight. And immediately, Sam Vicini was like, oh, no, nope. he was going to fit. Like <laughs> that he was. was. Like, it, that was literally set in stone. Like, the Hawks couldn't trade up for fifth with the Cavs because Cavs like, it's either eight or ten or we're taking Hunter because we need him just as much as you guys do. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean so I, I've like, heard that. I thought that now, I mean, since the draft – and you know it doesn't do us any good as as much good after the draft, but I, I've now heard that I can't tell you how many times from different people that know things that that was happening. He was going he was going to Cleveland at five. They had they had to get to four. If Hunter was their guy and, it, and he obviously was, they had to get to four, and that's why they paid the price. Yeah, but they and and I, and I think it's like did they pay too much? Yeah. Well, they pay too much in a vacuum, but you know yep. that's exactly what I've been saying. In a vacuum, this it's is, too much, a, but it's also defensible in every way. But this like, is, I get this it. is an NBA. This is an NBA two K. This is a, there are thirty teams in this league. This is a zero sum game. Like for the Hawks to get up to four, they have to outbid team. Like you're Absolutely. not just gonna you. You can't just be like, oh, eight and seventeen should be able to get it done to move up to four. Well, the Timberwolves got you know eleventh and one of the best two way wings in the NBA, Robert Covington. They were dangling. Like the Hawks had to beat. That's the off type of offer the Hawks had to beat to get to four. Oh, and by they the way, did it. go ahead. And, and my point is, like, they did it without giving up ten, and they they did it to get the guy that they knew that there there was no other way they were going to get there. You, I, we said it all throughout this draft process. You just simply can't draft guys like big wings like Hunter, like Reddish, like Culver, and like Little. Like you, you. You can't sign them in free agency. You can only draft them. And, you know, Hunter, you go back, you look at, you just look at the complete package that Hunter brings. He's, he and Cobra are, you know, it depends on, on what you want. And I think, to me, uh, why, why Schlank probably liked Hunter more than Cobra, what it comes down to is that I don't think Travis Schlank thinks that uh, Cobra is better than Herder. Kevin Herter. Like, I, I think 
you know, if you look at if you look at Culver, you look at Herder. Is there really that big of a talent gap between the two? And for Schlank, it probably wasn't. So he's like, you know, what? I'm going to go for fit instead of you know theoretical upside. Even though I, you know, I've kind of come around. And I think their upside's about the same. But go ahead, Brad. What, what were you about to say? Yeah, the something I, I I've wanted to say and I keep forgetting to say it. Um, to like sort of argue against myself even because I've said what you were just saying like in a vacuum it's an overpay you know the Hawks don't have overflowing roster spots either like you know they, they took three guys in this draft at the end of the day and, that, and they climbed back in to get the third guy um, but you know a lot of the capital they used you know obviously seven you know they, they, they basically went three for one in this draft with some future stuff granted they had to take on Solomon Hill but you know with that with that move they have 14 guys on their contract right now. Like they're not, I was, I was on record as saying they, they w- had no problem staying pat and making four picks. Granted, they had to take on Sol- Solomon Hill too, but they don't, they don't have roster space. That's just overflowing. So if you want to make an argument against this being an overpay and all that fun stuff, like look no further than the roster too. Like in, in addition to everything you're saying, I agree with everything you're saying about the fit and the premium placed on Hunter and the fact that you have to go get your guy and pay too much, probably in most circumstances to trade up in the draft. But if they just stood pat and made all their picks in this draft, they wouldn't have roster spots for these guys. They had, I mean, obviously it's easy to clear roster spots because you have Jalen Adams, who's non-guaranteed, and you have these guys you could buy out. But they don't have a roster of 10 guys like a lot of these teams do. In fact, the Hawks have more guys under contract than most teams in the league do right now. They have 14 players under contract. 14. And on June 23rd, that's insane. Like, that never happens hardly ever around the league. Like, their entire team... If they wanted to roll in the season like this, they could. I wouldn't recommend that necessarily because they have some weaknesses, but they could do that. They have a full NBA roster right this second without doing anything in for agency. And that's, you know, that, that might be a small subplot here, but they also just, again, they didn't, they didn't have a ton of room. So like you were saying, it's not a vacuum here. They, they needed to act in their own best interest. And, you know, if they identify Hunter as their guy, which they clearly did, there's so many reasons to go up and do it. Like everything about the, about the vacuum trade value stuff. I've said it a million times now, but there were a ton of reasons to make this trade from Hunter being good to Hunter, Hunter checking every box to, you know, getting the ideal stuff that you wanted to have on your roster to the roster itself and to, to your future assets. So, you know, you, you can have this calculus all day long and we, I've done it on three straight podcasts. I totally get it. But at the end of the day, they got the guy they wanted and they executed the plan. Like Travis Schlenk couldn't talk about Hunter and Fernando and still can't until July, which is insane. But it's just true. Um, we don't, So we don't know 100%. But I've heard enough now to know that they're over the moon, man. Like there was a full-blown celebration in the draft room that they even like televised with Tony Wrestler like going crazy. They were they were thrilled. They were absolutely overjoyed. And not, not every draft's like that. I've covered some drafts where the GM wasn't wasn't like that. Obviously, the guys that they draft, they usually are pretty pleased with because they're 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 they are the guys that they prioritized. But not every war room is like jubilant like that. And the Hawks are really happy, man. Like they they they, do, they did what they wanted to do. Yeah, and that, I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff that can't be stressed. And I I think I want to touch back with you know I I like that you brought up Bruno Fernando because I bet I bet like. That's probably the basketball. That's probably always going who the Hawks were going to target, whether they got him at seventeen or thirty. Um, you know, they probably would have traded down 
uh, if they still had 17, they probably would have traded down and still drafted Bruno Fernando. It's clear they targeted him in particular. There's a lot of noise, like apparently that they really like for, you know, Bruno and just to give a quick scouting thing with him. Like to me, he's just a big that doesn't have any particular weakness at the moment. And so that's, you know, that's a good value for what they got from at, at 34. But yeah, the, I think the biggest thing to look at is like, this is kind of, you know, unless they start making some trades, this is kind of what the roster is going to be. Give or take. It's a, it's very heavy on wings. <laughs> so, and you know, it's kind of fascinating. You know, the Hawks kind of went a couple years where, you know, Tyler Dorsey was guaranteed <laughs> playing time. Well, and now, now they have, like, they, they have a ton of wings, and that's something we should talk about. But it's interesting in that they have wings that are also complementary to each other. Like they have guys who are who are twos. You know, Kevin Herter is more of a two right now. Kevin Bazemore is more of a two. You know, Bembry and Alan Crabb, you know, ben, Crabb especially, is more of a two. But then you have, Bembry can kind of go one through three. Um, you know, Hunter is a three-four hybrid. Solomon Hill is more of a four probably than a three at this point. Like they have some, and you know, Reddish has legitimate, you know, seven-foot wingspan, legitimate three size. They have a ton of wings, but it's actually kind of nice that they have a couple guys, at least with Hunter and uh, Hill, if they wanted to do that, they could play the four. They have some fours that can play the five in Collins and Spellman. Like, they have some real versatility and, like, malleability for the first time in a while. I mean, they need a backup point guard, probably, and we could talk about that, too. But other than that, like, they have a ton of wings, but if you're going to have a ton of anything, that's the spot to have a ton of, especially when you have a couple guys that that can play the four, because, you know, you can use those guys together. Like, we had, there was a big, uh, I did a a little sort of a quick roster primer on Peachtree Hoops this morning, or, yeah, this morning, and people got mad at me that I said DeAndre Memory was going to be jockeying for playing time, but but he is. Like, at the moment, he absolutely is. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a shot at him at all. Like, I've always liked Memory, but... Look how many wings there are. I mean, you can't tell me that he's like better than Kent Bazemore at basketball. He's not. So, you know, and, and obviously they couldn't. They could. They could clearly one of these guys or two of these guys away. You know, Bazemore, Crab, Hills, sort of the last man standing. I would imagine. But those guys are all expiring. But for the moment, if you factor in the projection that you know Hunter's going to play a lot, I would imagine, and Reddish is still a top ten pick. They're going to play the guy, even if he's not great. They're going to play him right away. So. There's not gonna be a lot of minutes. like somebody's not gonna play. Like you have to you have to factor that in. It may not be Bembry, but one of these guys who's a real NBA player, maybe maybe Bazemore or Crab, somebody's gonna not play minutes because you just have a million guys. And, and it's and it, it's a good problem. And this can't be stressed. Like now at the wing, the Hawks are gonna play an actual NBA basketball player because all the time. You know, Solomon Hill's not Solomon Hill is not twelve million dollars of like pure no. you know, dead cap space. He's not a Miles Plumley. Like he can play. I, I see like to me, I you know I kind of the first thing I tweeted about it was Solomon Hill was like you know now that he's going to go to a team that has spacing and can play him at the four, you know maybe he'll return to being a good basketball player because he was good in Indiana the one year where they had him exclusively playing the four and he played alongside shooters in New Orleans, you know and that I mean this kind of goes back into what what I what you know the thing where you know everybody's giving David Griffin all. Griffin, all these, uh, this praise, and he has done a great job with the AD trade, but that team has no shooting at all. And like, that was the biggest issue. Like, if the, the two biggest issues with AD in New Orleans was there was no shooting and they had no depth. Well, now they got depth. 
but they still don't have any shooting. And, you know, they were forced to play. They had no big wings, so they were essentially playing Solomon Hill, who I think is just a full straight four at the three. And that just, like, that kind of just neutered his value because he's not a great shooter. Uh, and, you know, he's just really not a three. But they needed to play him at the three because, you know, just due to their roster constraints. So, you know, him in Atlanta in a different role playing the four backup minutes, like, I think – we'll get to see some of his value as a basketball player. But, you know, this Hawk, I mean, this, look, at the end of the day, on draft day, like Travis Slank's primary objective is to get the best team the Hawks can possibly be for now and for the future. And I think he did that. Um, you know, it, I mean, even Hunter and Reddish, like their strengths and weaknesses complement each other. They, they fit um, great. I mean, th- there's a reason why fans – have already f- tried to like figure out how they're going to play together, and it's because they can fit together. You know, Hunter is a guy who could play both both spots, three and the four. And you probably are never going to just like at least at, the, at least early on, you're not going to start those guys together or play Hunter at the four at, as a primary look. But when you have two legitimate six eight with seven seven foot wingspan guys, one of which in Hunter is like a, a grown man in terms of strength, and and Reddish is obviously super fluid and athletic. Those guys are kind of a perfect hybrid forward combination in the modern NBA. If they if they work out, obviously, you know, there takes a projection there. But th- their strengths and weaknesses make a ton of sense. So I'm already on record as saying you can never have too many wings, and that's doubly true when they actually make sense together. And these guys do. Yeah, they're not like you could see where you know if the Hawks took Nasir Little at ten, it kind of be a duplicate of skill set where both guys are kind of fours mask like where Hunter has more skill. He can play the three just due to his shot being more, more stable where little, uh, you know, his shot is still unknown, even though he had, it, it sounds like he kind of fixed some things in workouts, but you know, he hasn't proven it. And so, and he's also like not, a, not the most fluid ball handler, uh, you know, not really a distributor, all that good stuff. So, like those two, those two guys, they kind of are in the same mold as Wing. Whereas Reddish, he 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 and the Herder are kind of similar in how they play uh, basketball. But you can do that because those guys, like Herder and Reddish, the difference is that Reddish is just a lot bigger, and so like that that works, you know. And it, like I think a lot of optimism comes with is that it makes sense. Like yep. this roster makes sense. It's and that's not something the Hawks have, could say for the past since uh, the sixty one team. Like honestly, yeah. Like this is the most. Like they're not. They might not be be as good as the team. The Dwight Howard led forty eight crap. No, or no. The, the year before that. Year, Al Orford. Yeah, yeah, the year yeah, before exactly. that, one forty eight. They're uh, probably not as good, but they make more sense. Uh, you know, because they got you know. That team was playing Bazemore at the three full time, and they were just getting killed by every big wing in the NBA. And, you know, with him and and Corver. Now, you know, with this roster, like they have so many, you know, complementary pieces where they kind of mesh together, and you can see a scenario where, you know, the sum of the parts, you know, makes makes you know makes up for you know the the gaps that you might have due to age and inexperience, like this. This roster works like it, and it, it really would work. Would stop if they just resigned De- Deadman, which 
Um, like, you know, if you heard on the Zach, Zach Lowe podcast, they were talking about teams were trying to get Devin for the mid-level. I'm like, I mean, unless they're going to willing to go four years full mid-level, I, I think the Hawks have the inside track to re-sign them. So, yeah, um, I mean, uh, let's uh, let's hold that thought for actually one second. Hold that thought for one second. We'll come back, uh, take a quick break, hear from the old sponsors. We'll come back and uh, talk about Dwayne Debbins and some other stuff in free agency. All right, Tyler, we're back. And, uh, yeah, I mean, to your point where we, before the break, Debbin is interesting in that, you know, I kind of hilariously tweeted, you know, in the middle of the first round that I thought the draft to that point made it seem like it was going to be a Debbin reunion in the future and it was not sourced I basically said that at, at the time and then of course they trade back in and draft a center and I was like okay maybe not necessarily but Deadman would be by far the best center on the team if they were to re-sign him um, and I think because he can space the floor he would really help them if they can get Dwayne Deadman on a short-term contract you still do it I mean there's there's some roster crunch issues right now because they have 14 guys but honestly the easiest way for me to say this is that if it's me, if I can get Devin at a reasonable price, you just do it. That takes you to 15 guys, and if you've got to get a point guard that's better than Jalen Adams, you could just you could just move on from him. Uh, I feel bad about that, but Adams is you know he's non guaranteed. If you have to, if you have to cut him, you have to cut him, or if you buy somebody out or whatever you want to do. But Deadman, I think honestly, is the best player that the Hawks could reasonably realistically sign in free agency. Like, obviously, if they want to get creative and you know dump a contract, something like that, create more space. But with their current salary cap and their current roster, without doing anything else weird, he's the best guy they can sign because A, you have his, you have, you have his um, early bird rights. B, he's a great fit. You know he's a great fit with John Collins. They like him. He might sign short term. And you know it's not a position of great need, necessarily. You do have some competent big man play. But aside from Alex Lynn... You don't have a center, a full-blown, you know, five only, obviously not talking about John Collins, that you know can play right it's now. It's proven. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. you have Bruno Fernando, yeah, who, you know. whatever, and then you have Miles Plumley, and those those are the two guys you have. Fernando is a talented guy, but as a rookie, you know, what are you going to get? I don't know. You obviously can play Spellman. You can play Collins there, potentially, but, you know, for all the stuff that I've heard about people not, not wanting to play Collins at the five – if this is your current roster, he's got to have to play the five because you don't have a you have a lot of other options. You, you, obviously, you would start Alex Len at the five, but as currently constructed, John Collins is basically your backup center, and you know that can work, no doubt, no doubt about it. Especially if you're willing to play Hunter at the four, like they were not willing to play Prince at the four for obvious reasons. But it would help to have another big man, and Debman is really good, despite what hoops hype might tell you. Um, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. JaVel McGee ahead of him. JaVel McGee, Thomas Bryant, uh, a couple other ones. That that was funny. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins. Like, let's let's be real here. Oh, no. You Uh, are. We're we're aligned on that. Every continuing basketball team wish they had Dwayne Dedman. Dwayne Dedman is a full-blown starting center in the NBA. A good one. Like, he's not an elite one, but Dwayne Dedman would start for half the teams in the league. He's really good at basketball, and you know, his shooting. He's a great fit here. It may not happen if Devin gets real money to go to a to go to a contending ish team. He should take it. I, I, I'm on board with that. But the Hawks could pay him a lot for a year or two if they wanted to do that. Like if he's on board with a short term contract, like maybe an overpay, like a two for twenty eight or two for thirty. I might do that for Dwayne Devin. Like it's a lot of money in year two, particularly. But like he honestly, I I, I sort of joked about this a little bit. I'm, I'm almost serious that they might. They they should probably consider giving him the JJ Reddick contract, like the one for the one year nineteen million, 
or something like that. Yeah, they, it's, it's see if he they takes probably it. got a. I don't know what the how much they can pay him, but that's why I do. I'll just give them one year and as much as they can possibly pay him within the rules, and you know, just live with it because. I mean, he's good. He fits. You know, he already understands the offense, the culture. Like, you don't have – there's no transition that needs to be happening. And, you know, I it, it comes down with me because while Alex Lynn was pretty good last season, I still would prefer Alex Lynn be a guy who, you know, some nights you're just not going to play him. Oh, he right? should – I mean, honestly, if, if, we're, if we're being real, he was, he was better than expected last year. I liked that signing. I was pretty vocal about that. He's still someone you want to be a backup center. You don't want him to be your starting center. I mean, that's he can do that in a pinch for this team. You know, it's not that big of a deal if he if he turns into your starting center next year. But all, all things equal, I think you want Alex Lynn in that role, like you're talking about, where most nights he's playing. Some nights, if it's a bad matchup, you go away from him and play more Spellman or more Collins or whatever you need to do in the front or court. Fernando, depending. Like, yeah, whatever you need you know, to do. I, like to me, I I, would, I just would like to bring Deadman on because I know I'm going to get a solid 20 minutes out of center. He's a starting center. I mean, um, it's just what it is. He's, he's a good basketball player. Exactly. Yeah. And, I mean, other than other than that, I think the only spot where they you know quote have to do something is back at point guard, and we, we sort of turn this into a free agency primer in some ways. But that's the biggest weakness on the roster right now, in my opinion, is like just the glaring one. And I, I think um, you were tweeting about this earlier, so I'm going to let you go on this a little bit earlier. With with there are some options on the roster that are not point guards that can play there that we've seen in the past. I'm not sure they're going to do that, but you know, Jalen Adams is not an ideal NBA backup point guard for a full season. I know he functioned there last year after they after they let Jeremy, Jeremy Lin go, but I think that's the spot. If you were going to tell me or ask me what do the Hawks do with their with their last roster spot and their remaining money, um, it's probably backup point guard. I'm not sure what that looks like because you don't, you don't necessarily need a great option. You have Trey Young. But, you know, a veteran, solid, you know, $4 million backup point guard might, might, might make some sense. And it would be a, a pretty violent upgrade on what they currently have. I mean, ideally you get Malcolm Brogdon, who is not going to come, but as someone who could play both spots and kind of just be that kind of player. But, you know, per- perfect world aside, just a competent backup point guard would be useful on this team, I think. Yeah, and I hear that, but the issue is like, to me, what the backup point guard I would want the Hawks to sign probably isn't available because they need somebody – it's brought, they need somebody with size. Um, yeah, somebody ideally it's like Patrick Beverly or something. Young. Yeah, yeah or, or Patrick Beverly who doesn't have the size but is just such a bull Physicality, that, yeah. Yeah, and, shoot, and shooting. Effort and physicality. Yep, 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 all that. Um, but, you know, to me, really, this is where, you know, this is where you try to develop Herter to be the all-around, you know, basketball player that he could possibly be. Force him to run the offense. You know, so he's not just fading into the background because he's too talented. Like to me, I would put the ball in her hands, tell him to run the offense. You run it, pick and roll all get like when you're on the floor, you got to run the offense like Trey Young does because you're a great passer. You know, you have a great handle. Like he has a great handle. Nobody can take the ball away from him. Yep. You know, it's just he's smooth too. like to me. It's like, yeah, like force him to be a go-to guy because he has that type of upside. And, like, you know, this is where, you know, trying to get him development is development minutes that way as a playmaker because what I would – the I for the Hawks, like, the ideal roster for the Hawks to be contenders, they need they need to basically play every minute that Trey Young isn't on the floor, 
be a great defensive team, like just flat out dominant defensive team. And the best way to do that is to not have a small guy on the floor. Yeah, that's a good point. Like if you can get if you can get away with playing everybody who's six 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 five and above, um, and you know just that that's the difference maker because you you'll just win those minutes due to due to superior size against other teams who have to play a point guard. Well, that, so that could Herter be the that, that, that could be the guy. theory of uh, you know obviously letting letting Herter sort of initiate the offense, but that could be the theory of a guy like Bembry. Like maybe you just go with those two guys together. Bembry can play defense on the point guard, for instance. He's really good at that, and kind of just let it cook on that way. Like that—that—that's that, a theory that I'm willing to listen to as a pro Bembry person is to kind of have him be functionally the backup point guard, at least defensively, not, but not necessarily ask him to run the team on offense because he can handle the ball a little bit. But there's some turnover stuff there, some maddening stuff with Bembry. But uh, I think yeah, defensively, yeah. defensively though, to your point, like he—he'd be the guy you want to throw on a point guard defensively. Or I mean, or, or like if, if Bazemore's healthy, he can do he can do the same thing. Bazemore's always been good at guarding smaller guys too when he's healthy and and ready to go. So you have some options if you want to do that. I still think ideally you'd want, you know, in the event that Trey Young misses ten games with a sprained ankle or something like that, you need another point guard on your roster that's not Jalen Adams, in my opinion. But I do I do understand the thinking behind you know as a full time unit or at least part of the time going with that sort of bigger group and also having the added benefit of having Herter develop a little bit on the ball because that's that's got a dual benefit that I that I do like I just think that roster building wise you can't assume Trey Young's gonna be healthy every game of his career so far he has been that's great and I think it could continue I mean I'm not saying it won't but in the event that he even misses a week right now you don't really have a way to run your offense Uh, so that might be a problem yeah but I mean the issue is that if Trey Young is hurt like I like, no, I'm what, with you. The va- it's the it's, va- it's bad anyway. Like that's the, that's the thing. Like, how much do you want to spend money at the point guard position? I'm not even uh, saying like spend a bunch order- of money. I'm saying like a, I'm saying like a four or five million dollar backup. Like not not nothing crazy. Like this is not a great this is not a great option for what you were just saying um, fit wise. But like someone like Ish Smith, like a perennial backup point guard that's like fine. Not not someone who's great. Just another guy who can sort of run your team and be an option for you 12 minutes a night. Like it's not a situation where you have to overspend. The only guys that I would be, I would pay real money for are guys who can play with Trey. So like Patrick Beverly, the Malcolm Brogdon theory, although he's, he's going to get, he's going to get way too much money, but that, that kind of player who can play alongside young as well, that guy you can pay for. If it's a straight backup one, you can't pay big money. That doesn't make any sense. Agreed. Yeah. Ish Smith is actually, that's actually a name I didn't think about. Yeah. That'd be an ideal I will credit. Uh, I think. I think. I think it was Kelster in the uh, Peace Troops comments. I will credit him for that one because he brought that up, and I was like, "Oh, that's a good idea. I like that." He's a smart guy. Is he a free agent? Uh, I believe he is. I'm looking up right now on earlybirdrights.com. Shots to Jeff Siegel. Let me make sure. But um, I think that's. I think he's a free agent. I'm looking now. This is riveting radio. Yes, he is a free agent. Yeah, so that that might be somebody they target just to upgrade from Jalen Adams, or hell, maybe Jalen Adams figures it out. Uh, I don't. I don't think that's likely, but yeah, they. Yeah. I mean, they got. I, I see your. I see your point. Like, really, ultimately, you, you want to back up, uh, just so that you know you're not so trade dependent if he ever gets hurt. Which I mean, he is. You know, you're going to be trade dependent regardless. But you're going to be tra- yeah, but, like I mean, like you were saying before. You 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 know if he gets hurt, you're in some serious trouble regardless. But it does. I just think having that option, like, because some nights. I agree with you. The big lineup might work, 
but there might be nights where you just can't get away with it because maybe you just can't score and like you need to have another alternative to go to. And I think having that, I mean, it may not have to be somebody as good as, as this Smith, but somebody that's better than Jalen Adams. And I'm, I'm not trying to pick on Jalen Adams. I'm really not. He was somebody I kind of liked them taking a two way shot on. I just don't really see it as a NBA backup in 2019. Um, so, you know, there's options out there. And again, it, it needs to be somebody that's probably cheap. You know, maybe if you, if Beverly doesn't get the offer that he wants, maybe you turn that into maybe you overpay him and he comes and you can play him together with Trey and defensively and have him sort of maybe teach Trey the arts um, of getting around defense and all that stuff. That'd be, that might be helpful, but I think more realistically, it's going to be someone who is boring and that's okay because boring is probably better than what they have now behind, behind Trey. Agreed. I just like, to me, the, the, the main issue is that really I don't want you know, even Ish Smith, I I really would prefer her to step into that role and I get it totally. Force. Yeah, yeah, just like even even if the, you're just sucking wind, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It, no, I that's understand. Such, that's a, you don't want you don't want to repeat Zach Levine, uh, Zach Levine in Minnesota, but you know, it, it, I like I really want to force Herder to be a better basketball to be to be to play up to his talent level. Like and I think you know putting him, having him be the um, offensive initiator and be like, hey, you what, you know what, go score, dog. Like we we're you're in the game, you're gonna run, uh, you know, one four pick and roll with somebody, whether it be John Collins, you know, maybe help him out playing alongside John Collins and be like, yo, when 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 the screen happens and you got a lane to shoot, you shoot it or you get to the rim, like we because we need offense from you, like we need you to be an all-star caliber basketball player. We need you to play up to your talent level. Like, um, you know, Lloyd Pierce, you know, in one of his interviews said that, you know, Herter is the most talented guy on the team. You know, this was before the draft. It might be Cam Reddish now, um, all things considered. But, you know, before the draft, he was like, you know, Herter is my most talented guy. Uh, but, you know, he's got to play. He he has to play with more consistency. And, like, to me, Herter just he can't. He's too talented to be fading into the background. Yeah. Like he's got to play with more force. He's got to look for a shot, and really, he's got to look to get to the rim so that he can be more efficient. Like he's got to get to the rim, get to the free throw line, and just really be a dynamic basketball player instead of being so reliant on being a make or miss player. Where oh, like my three point. Even though I'm a great three point shooter, like it's just not falling falling tonight. Then I'm just useless. Like he has to be able to bring it every night. He's got to find ways to score than just being an, a great shooter. Like, and I think he can get there, but like, it's kind of going to be on him to play. So hopefully he puts on, you know, weight and, you know, plays with the type of force that the Hawks need from him. And, I a, mean, and this goes, this goes to with Cam Reddish as well. Like, you know, I was going to ask about Cam Reddish. That guy who feels that role. Yeah. I was going to um, ask about Reddish anyway. Just, I mean, it's, it's obviously, I think it's gonna be a big year for Herter in year two. You know, now he's more established. He's ready to go, but I was going to ask about Cam. So let's just talk about Cam for a second now, because we haven't talked about him much, you know, obviously we did before the draft, but now that you know what, you know, he's going to be here, obviously he's going to be alongside the guys. He's going to be alongside. I would imagine he'll be in a secondary role earlier, earlier in the year, probably not starting, not playing a ton of minutes. Like I think he's going to play, but it would surprise me if he started because of just the guys that are around him. So what do you, you know, I know it's very early, but Cam's not playing summer league either. So this is like a time to talk about him a little bit more probably. What do you make of him early? Because, you know, knowing that he wasn't great at Duke, it may not be great early, but also 
even Travis like the first thing he said when I asked him about the translation about his finishing was that they the first thing he what he went to was about Duke. So they kind of know that Duke was not the greatest spot for him. So maybe that plays into it too. But what's he look like as a rookie, I suppose, and then beyond that? You know what's funny because if Herder doesn't, you know, heck, I try Cam Reddish at backup point guard. You know, that's what he did in high school and. It's funny, like he could, like it felt like he really couldn't dribble at Duke, um, like he couldn't get by his man. But there really was no space, even when he did. Like he was just always in traffic. But something that I found interesting, um, you know, Mike Schmitz on his uh, Draft Express profile of uh, Cam Reddish that you can find on YouTube. One of the things he talked about was that Cam Reddish was like very good in the pick and roll, but they only ran he only ran pick and roll the entire season like thirty times. Which, <laughs> which seems is uh, ridiculously low. Shouts to, to, to R.J. Barrett. <laughs> I mean, it speaks it speaks both to the fact that he didn't really have the ball in his hands and the type of role that he was, which is as you know, he was coming into coming at into Duke. He was a point forward, like he was somebody who dribbled all the time, who ran the offense, who, and so maybe like you have Cam Reddish be the backup point guard. I I'd rather like to me, I'd rather do that and. If you watch, like you watch how he he operates when when he has space, like he's a different basketball player. And so like maybe maybe he's got some pick and roll, um, you know, ability with him with his shot because his shot is great. Uh, you know, he only shot thirty three percent from three, but it was like seventy percent of his shots were from three. Like that, like his three point percentage. I would not look at his three point percentage and say, oh, he's a bad shooter. I think. His no. shot would translate, especially playing on a team where he's not going to be the knockdown shooter, like playing with Trey Young and Kevin Herter and all the other guys that the Hawks got, even Alan Crabb, you know, so on and so forth. Guys who are just money from three. And this is another reason why you'd want Deadman back because Deadman's like a proven 40% three-point shooter. You know, Reddish isn't going to be that guy who you just got to close out so hard or, you know, it's an automatic three points like like he's not going to be the, that main focal point, but I do think there's some, I think there's some just upside that went untapped. He's going to be in a role that fits him better. Like he's not, like the Hawks don't just, like the Hawks don't run Houston Rockets offense. Like Trey Young is not James Harden in no. the way that he operates. He's very much he gets the ball to guys, and guys are like he's more than willing to give the ball up and have them operate as a as a you know secondary ball handler as a guy in the pick and roll. And I think that's something that Cam Reddish can do. And he kind of already has the skill. So I'm just really fascinated to see if that will translate because there, I mean, there are some nights when, you know, you see, like you just see it where he's running pick and roll with Zion Williamson and he just rises up, bang, like automatic, automatic from three where he gets such clean looks just due to his shot. Like it's, he's super talented. And I think, I don't, I don't know. The issue with him is going to be consistency. I think he's like to me. I feel like Cam Reddish is going to have a similar season to what Herder had this past season. Uh, maybe be a bit better defensively just due to the fact that he's bigger. But uh, where he's a really he, he's a know, really not, good a, uh, secondary. Like he's a really good team defender already. Like he kind he kind of he knows where to be, and because he is long, he I think is going to be pretty okay. Or you know you know rookies are generally bad defensively. 
but I think he's going to be pretty decent despite the fact that he, you know, may not be great on the ball necessarily, but I think he just kind of understands where he's supposed to be. He's a pretty smart player, you know, with the, uh, you know, the occasional maddening drive into nowhere uh, aside. Defensively, I think he played pretty well on tape. Like, I've been watching even more of him the last few days. I've been watching more of all these guys. You know, I watched him a ton before, but now that we know that they're going to be around. And Reddish, one of the things that I like the most about him, honestly, in his entire game is his, is his secondary defense. Like, he's a very active, useful, you know, off-ball defender. And I think that's really helpful to establish his floor because of how long he is, like you said. Like, he's, he's athletic. He's not like a – he's not an uber-athlete, but he's – super fluid and someone who's long and gets it and knows what to do. And, you know, when he's not asked to be the primary defender, which he's not going to be, honestly, because they have Hunter and whatever else, like as a secondary defender, there's a lot to like there, even early on. But I mean, the Herder comp's interesting because I think Herder, you know, on a better team last year would not have been the starting two guard for two thirds of the season, but that probably helped him in development developmentally. I I don't think this year, you know, you can, disagree with me I'm not sure Reddish is ever going to be a 25 minute 25 minute night a night guy on this team this year barring injury like maybe he will be and I'm just wrong about this but he doesn't have the same the same clear playing time thing that Herder got last year part of that was that Bazemore got banged up and there was there were some reasons behind this but I mean do you think Reddish is going to suddenly be a start like a starting level playing time guy on this team halfway through the season or is it going to take a little a little, I, little bit longer I think I think based on just how Lloyd Pierce does rotations, like we're not going to be concerned that Reddish isn't playing too much. Like I think he's going to well, be I agree consistently with that. He's, in he's, the twenties. He's going to play. Yeah, he's going to play. Like I think I think he's going to consistently be in the twenties in minutes, just due to how Lloyd Pierce um, does rotations. Like John Collins famously never goes over thirty minutes a night, and I think you know I think that's going to continue just due to the fact that how John Collins plays. Like the only guy that they stretched stretched for minutes last season was Trey Young and Torian Prince because they had nobody else for Torian Prince. But now that they have Reddish, um, you know they got Allen Crabb, they got Solomon Hill, uh, Kent Bazemore, DeAndre Bembry, Kevin Herter. Like they got so many guys that need playing time. I think Lloyd Pierce is going to do a do a pretty good job of leveling out the minutes, and really it's going to be go, it's going to be field based. So I think. I think he's Reddish probably going to be around the 20, 25-ish minute per game range unless, you know, unless he kind of comes out like, a, you know, and, I, and and there's probably going to be a month where he, he shows out everything that he has to offer and, you know, maybe he fights, you know, he bumps up his minutes allocation. But, you know, it's going to be tough for Reddish to get minutes just due to the fact that how many, you know, quality wing players are on this roster, but – you know, this goes back to I think that you you can probably say safely that Reddish is probably the most talented basketball player on this team now, uh, just due to all all the tools that he has and his athletic profile and his size. Like the Paul George comps are warranted, um, you know, just just due to the fact of how big he is and his shot profile. Like if 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 like if the shot translates, you know. You can't block it. He's six eight. <laughs> you know, with long arms. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, like physical, like physical profile wise, that's why he gets the comp to Paul George more than anybody is because they have the same measurables. Like you sort of get it. I, I, I think George is a better athlete, just like explosiveness wise. But yeah, still, but you like, know what, Brad? Brad, let me let me. I don't think Paul George was Paul George got became a better athlete 
as I his agree. career went along. Like when yep. he when he got to the league, he also I think couldn't he was shoot. Just an okay, athlete. He couldn't shoot either. Like yeah. Or dribble. He still can't dribble, probably, but uh, uh, <laughs> he's better than he used to be at dribbling, I will say. Paul George I mean, like, like famously great, could such, not dribble. Yeah, Paul George is such a great shooter now that he kind of masks the fact that he can't dribble. Like, right. he really can't. But, uh, you know, since he's such a better shooter now, it's kind of opened up his dribble drive game. But, uh, that, I mean, that's that's the type of potential uh, Cam Reddish has. And Paul George is probably going to be third in MVP, MVP voting this season. So, yeah, that's that's you pretty know, good. That's, you, listen, I mean, that that's like a ninety nine percent outcome, but it's not one that's like impossible. And if that happens, then yeah, look out because Paul George is really and, good. And ultimately, it, with Reddish, it just comes down to like, will will the will he be a better fit? Like to me, I feel like the role that he's going to be in Atlanta, he's going to have, like ultimately, he's not going to be a spot up guy. Like at Duke, he was just. I mean, you watch the games. He really was just a, a catch and shoot guy because you know Zion, Zion and RJ need the ball in their hands to to be effective on well Zion did but RJ did, and you know RJ was just better, you know RJ was just flat out better offensively than Cam Reddish was for what Duke needed in particular, due to the fact that you know Duke as a roster didn't have the spacing to complement Reddish's skills, but I think in Atlanta we'll see more of those skills and. I think it'll justify, you know, him going 10 based on his freshman season where he was just, again, as we've said multiple times, Cam Reddish as a freshman at Duke was pretty terrible. It was not good. Uh, but, but I mean, there, there's a reason I had him. I mean, I had him number eight overall on my board. And for for the Hawks specifically, he would have been five or six because you basically can cross, over, cross off the point guard. So, you know, it's it's a it's a good value in my opinion. I wrote about it a little bit. Um, I think it was on Friday or whatever day that was. And I, I really liked the value there. I think it's a great spot. I, I know Cole said this. And I know I said this before, but I'll say it again now. You know, a lot of people in the league were also rooting for Reddish to go to Atlanta for Reddish because it's a great fit for him as well as as well as for the team. Like he needs to be in a situation where he can kind of be um, have his strengths magnified, and that's Atlanta's that spot. I think for him, everyone everyone likes that fit. Even if, even if you didn't love Reddish as a prospect, I think almost everyone that I've talked to, if not everybody, agrees that it's a good fit for him. So hopefully yeah, that will Trey, allow him to Trey go. Young, Trey Young's going to make his life easy. Yeah. Trey Young's going to Trey Young's going to simplify the decision tree. And and I mean that's why you know Trey Young's such a great prospect and you know he was kind of a great pro the second half of the season is that he simplifies the decision tree for everybody else because he's such an out, outstanding passer like he's such an outstanding playmaker. Like to me I, I said this I, I said this on Kevin's pod, and I'll say it here. I think Trey Young's the best passer in the NBA, like, already. Uh, I think he can, like, I, it might be it might be him and LeBron. Like, just the – because it's not just the type of passes he, passes he makes, but it's the quality of passes when he gets it to guys. Like, he's just incredible. And accurate, too. Role. Like – not, yeah, not, even, not, not just when, but like just hitting guys in a shooting pocket too is something that's underrated about him. Like he delivers these ridiculous passes, but they're almost always in the perfect spot. Like he's he's with so pinpoint with that. Like Reddish, Reddish is going to get so many looks where he's just wide open or has a clear, uh, clear shot at the rim where he can just dunk the basketball or lay it up without you know two or three guys in his face because Trey Young's Trey Young's going to take all. Of, all the attention for the team. He he's gonna make life easier for everybody else on the offensive end. And like, and this is where it goes back where I, 
like to me, I think Pam Reddish as a defender, like I I think he can guard point guards. And I think he can do it pretty early just due to like as for Cam, now that the Hawks have DeAndre Hunter, like they don't have to put Cam Reddish on the team's best, you know, biggest perimeter guy. They can put him on, you know, twos and ones and have him really cause havoc with his size, length, and quickness where, like, he's just going to, you know, I, like, I think he's going to be a havoc bringer, uh, you know, two or three years down the road on defense in that in that type of situation where he's just, like, you know, kind of Paul Georgie, kind of uh, where, you know, he's just all over the place. He's disrupting your ball handle. Like, he's disrupting your dribble and all that good stuff that the Hawks are going to need from somebody on the team. And, you know, He's like, I mean, he's just, he's a great prospect for what the Hawks need because he, he kind of, he, he just fits. Like, again, Hunter fits, uh, Reddish fits, and even Fernando fits. Like, uh, you know, we're not talking about Bruno, but, you know, he, he's the basketball player that fits what the Hawks need. Physicality, you know, Bruno in particular, he's got physicality. He plays hard, great rebounder decent shot blocker can make great decisions with the ball in his hands. Um, good passer. Uh, and it's, he's just a quality basketball player. And, you know, this goes back to why everybody's so hyped about the Hawks is like, I mean, they, they did exactly what they needed to do on draft night. They got the players they need to fit their roster to cover up the holes that they had for the last couple of seasons. And so I'm, I'm really fascinated to see, what the Hawks are going to be next year. I don't know how good they're going to be, but they'll be fun. (laughs) They'll be fun. And I think, and I like, I think they got a chance to legitimately make the playoffs. Um, No, I agree. I mean, that's a question I've been getting asked on every single radio thing or a little podcast spot that I do somewhere else. Everyone asks at some point, can the Hawks make the playoffs? And I always say, would I pick them right now? Probably not, but can they? Absolutely. They can. I mean, the bottom of the East like you said before, to bring this thing full circle from the very beginning of this podcast, the Hawks were like a 34-win team when they had everybody. Like, they played they played just slightly under 500 basketball when after Collins got back. That was a, a mid-30s win team. Now, if you project that same team with some slight improvement from the young guys, that's 37, 38 wins, and suddenly you're there. Like, obviously, take a step back if they lose Wayne Dedman because he was uh, really helpful last year. And, you know, there's stuff that changes around the edges, but... Bottom of the East, you know, 38 wins probably gets you in the conversation, and they certainly they they could certainly do that. I mean, it, it's not a it's not a final roster right now as we've been talking about this entire podcast, but no one should be surprised if the Hawks contend for the eight seed. In my opinion, like that's that's not a hot take. It's not like I'm not I'm not going on first take, and that's not breaking news or anything like that. It's not like the hottest thing I've ever said, but it's just trying to be realistic here. No, they're not going to be the four seed this year. I mean. I had somebody ask me that the other day. Can they, can they compete for home court advantage in the East? I'm like, well, no, probably not. But seven, eight seed, sure. Why wouldn't? They? I mean, why can't they? Agreed. I mean, I don't know. I think they can get there. Maybe that's the homerism in me. But I, I mean, maybe something. But right like, now. no, I, I'm I'm trying not. I mean, you know me. I'm not. I'm not really a homer. Like, I don't. Have, I have a little bit of that. I'm supposed from deep down inside. But just objectively. That's a talented roster. Like they're young, but if you if you project if they sign some, I mean, for me, they're going to sign somebody else that can play basketball. 
whether whether it be Deadman or something, they're, they're not going to go into the season with 14 million in cap space. They're just not going to do that. They're going to sign somebody else. I'm not sure who it's going to be. But throw in a competent veteran somewhere, whether it be point guard or center or whatever they do with this roster. Why can't they win 38 games? I mean, it's not that's not crazy at all. That's that's it's less than 10 wins more than last year. And they were really unlucky in terms of injury stuff to get to wherever they were last year, 29 wins, 28 wins. That was a 33-44-1 team last year. It really was. So it's not this huge you know, gap of growth that we're projecting here. Um, you know, If everybody's healthy, if if, if Trey Young and John Collins both play 75 games or more, there's no reason they, that, that they can't compete for the 8th seed. That's not, that's not crazy at all. And just to circle this back, um, I think Hunter is already better than Torian Prince. Like, he certainly right might now. be. I mean, the the only question, honestly, the only thing that you can question about whether that's going to be true is that Prince is. We know we know Prince is a legitimately really good three point shooter in the NBA. I mean, I, I think Hunter is going to be a good shooter, but we flat out know it with Torian. Every every other part of the game, I think Hunter is probably better than already because Prince doesn't do didn't do much else well last year other than shoot. He shoots the heck out of it. Torian Prince can really shoot the basketball, and that's really valuable. But uh, I think you're not you're not wrong about this. If Hunter shoots at a decent clip, then he is probably better right away. Which is it's crazy to say that in some ways because he's a rookie, and I, I'm all aboard the rookies are generally bad train. But when when the rookie's 21 and does everything well, that's it's, it's a lot easier to see how it works right away. And I think Torian was, as we both have said repeatedly, sneakily bad. So uh, the shooting is the only thing. And if he should, if he shoots it pretty good, as we think as we think he's going to do, then I'm, I kind of agree. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know. I like, you know, I, I, I really do think, you know, more I think about, it, I think Hunter has a chance to be really good in this league, and uh, you know, I, I want to play this back for uh, these... for seven months ago, Tyler. Just for the record, I want I want to clip this, oh, yeah. and send it please to you do, in the in the past, do. and enjoy it. It'll be I, fun. I think I, I'm I'm willing to I'm willing to get out early on this with Hunter and say that I was wrong, um, and again. And again, it flipped with one. I, I started watch. I actually watched some games where Hunter played. I didn't just look at his stats and be like, "No steals, no blocks, trash." Nope. <laughs> I saw some games. I you just see how that is a very uncommon thing that people do. By the way, people there is definitely a movement towards the uh, you can't be good at defense if you don't have steals and blocks, which I I think it works sometimes. But then there there are always cases where it doesn't work. Like for instance, Clay Thompson's the ultimate one that everyone always cites that never gets steals and blocks, but everyone knows is good at defense. Um, you, it, it can be uh, you don't have to have steals and blocks. That's what I'm saying. Agreed. Like it. Like he move again. He moves his feet. Like I think. Like to me, I think he can be a disruptor. Like I think in a different scheme. Uh, for you know, you know, not playing that pack line defense, playing you know, typical what what they need in the NBA. Um, like I think I think he can be really good. I think I I do think he has all defense caliber just due to his his feet, his size, and his all the, the skills he already has as a defender. Uh, he's just he's really smart, and you know, coupled that with the fact that I I I genuinely think he's a great shooter, like a uh, just due just due to due to how well he shot it in the mid range, um, and how he takes advantage of you know weaker smaller guys like he's gonna have he's gonna have physical mismatches virtually every night because most teams don't have six seven two twenty 
um, you know, at the wing. They just don't. They, they teams are trying like teams want that guy because they don't have him. And the Hawks got, you know, the Hawks went out and got Hunter. And, you know, I think that's going to really work out well for them. For yeah, I think it's going to uh, be a good thing for all parties. Uh, we've gone long, as we always do. Anything you else that you want to get out there that we haven't talked about so far, or should we save some bullets for the next time? Uh, we can save some bullets for next time. <laughs> um, I I think, you know, I, I think Hawks' optimism is, is warranted. Uh, you know, Zach Lowe, you know, he went on this pod. He talked about how it feels like every everybody's talking about the Hawks are kind of a sleeping giant, and they should be. Uh, they were a fun team to watch when Trey Young got it together. And, you know, if Trey Young brings what he did the second half of the season for an entirety of the season, I think the Hawks are going to be a very good basketball team. Um, what Now, how good, I don't know. But I think they're going to be the best team that they've had since Al Horford left. Um, I, think they, I think they have the talent now to actually do that. And they got the pieces that fit together to where they could be like I think at their peak they could they could be the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference. Um, I don't think that's going to be a likely outcome. They're probably going to be around thirty-eight to forty-three wins. But I mean, considering where the Hawks have been the last two years, that's you know that's incredible. And you know we we've talked so little about John Collins. You know John Collins probably got another. You know John Collins probably going to be better next season. Like this, I mean this because they're so young and there's and like Collins and Trey were so good last year we forget that they still got things that they both can improve as, as basketball players. And I think, you know, that just that natural age uh, progression that we're going to get from them. You know, I, I, you know, (laughs) bet that over. I guess I'll end it at that. Just whatever, whatever the, depending on where the line is, Vegas (laughs) might actually, Vegas might be smart on this. Vegas might have it at like 37 wins or something. Uh, just due to how much hype the Hawks are kind of sneakily getting just from insiders. Um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm excited for the season and you know, I, I can't wait for real games to start, but you know, that's, that's a like a lifetime. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. still have to get, we got, have to get through uh free agency, which starts a week from today and summer league shortly thereafter. I'll be in Vegas and that's a whole nother, a whole nother ball game of weirdness, but uh plenty yeah. to talk about in the future uh anyway thanks man for joining me as always uh please plug yourself one more time i know you plucked about the pod earlier but say it again and uh anything else you got going yeah uh you guys can follow me at jonesy2x4 on twitter and if you are you're probably seeing me talk about uh evangelion being on netflix if you've never seen it go watch it if you like anime if you don't like anime it's you should probably watch it just because it's a genuine classic and uh, it still holds up and it's still great. I like, uh, this is a quick review. Um, but like, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm shocked at how good it still is. Like, I'm just, it's mesmerizing, but, uh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about on Twitter. And then, um, for more Hawks take, I'll probably be on Kevin's pod pretty soon in the next week or two, um, at ATL and 29, um, that's where you can typically follow, uh, typically hear my thoughts just about random stuff about the Hawks and the other 29 teams in the NBA. 
There you go. Please follow Tyler. Check out the ATL Twenty Nine podcast. I am a subscriber and listener to that. It's always good. And uh, as for this podcast, please subscribe to the show. We'll have at least one more pod this week before we hit into free agency, which is, again, coming very, very soon. So hit the subscribe button, rate, review, all that fun stuff, and we'll see everybody later on in the week.